Daniel Lakers, and welcome to Book One One. Book One One is all about books that I read for the last forty years, and today I have my special guest. He's the author of several books. No other than Mr. Richard Ayer. Hello, Daniel. Hello, Mr. Richard. Hiya. Hiya. How are you doing? I'm okay. I'm okay. How are you? I'm fabulous like you. Good, good. <laughs> so how's the weather in England? It's a bit chilly. It's a bit icy, uh, but it's. I think it's due to warm up um, next week, but it's been pretty cold, pretty cold. Mm, yes. So the winter... He's there already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're definitely midwinter now in England. So how many months were the winter? Uh... Well, it just depends. It's a, it, We've got a funny climate in England, you know. You, you can never tell from one year to the next. But usually winter's around about from sort of December to about end of February, beginning of March. That's when it really January and February are the coldest months. Or they, they certainly have been, I think, over the last few years. We're, we're, still, we're still in the middle of it at the moment. But it can get really warm, you know. Sometimes Christmas Day, it's it's sunny, you know. <laughs> yeah. So you can you can never tell. Is there's a case that uh, really Christmas Day is sunny in England? Uh, it just depends. It all depends. I mean, there is a chance of a bit of snow this year, I think. Uh, but it 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 can be vastly different from one year to the next. You can have a foot of snow. Yeah. That's quite rare. Usually, it's just drizzly and damp and horrible <laughs> that's what gloomy. that's gloomy yeah gloomy is the word that's probably what it mostly is yes mr richard let's talk about point of contact point of contact yeah so point of contact was actually um the first story first full-length story i ever wrote um very different to what it what it is now i, I wrote point of contact um on a typewriter way back in the, it must have been possibly even the late 80s or certainly early 90s. Um, and I wrote it all out, typed it all out and uh, sent it off, spelling mistakes and all, to uh, various different um, agents and things. And it got nowhere. Uh, and so I, I sort of left it. And then, I, I, then after that, I wrote minstrel's bargain which we've we've previously talked about um but yeah so point of contact has been through it's been through quite a few uh changes the gen the story's the same um but when i first wrote it um it was it was quite different to how it is now and it, it, it point once once minstrel's bargain got published um and I wanted a different publisher, so I found a, a local publisher um, who took on Point of Contact and published it for the first time. Um, and then I sort of, again, it, it was, nothing was happening with it, so eventually, and I think this was after or halfway through writing the, the, the Prophecy Trilogy, I uh, I took it. I took the sort of rights back, and I just self-published it. So it ended up being self-published for quite a while until I came across 
uh, my the publishers I'm with now, and I was just going to keep it as a as a as a self published book, you know. Um, but once I'd written Life Eternal, Pete and Sai at the at the publishers they they said, "Look, are you are you writing anything else?" And I and I I'd been starting writing something that I'm still. I've got on the boil. I've I've started, you know, I've started loads of different stories and not finished very many at the moment. And I said, yeah, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. And it was another sort of speculative type um, book that I was working on. And I said, look, listen, if you want something else off us, I've got this other book that I'm self-published and I explained what it was. And they said, well, look, we'll have a look at it and we'll see what, what, what the thought, you know. Uh, so they they had a look at the the self-published version of Point of Contact, and they got back to me and they said, "Look, this is the the light. You know, this is good, um, but it is sci-fi sort of horror. But it does start in a quite a, almost like a police procedural type thing. You know, like an investigation uh, type of of book." And they were. They said, "Look, we'd like to do, but would you like to change it?" And they were talking about turning it more into a sort of uh, just a police thriller, you know, based in a bit more sort of fact. And I thought about it, and I thought, no, I I, I like Point of Contact a lot. Um, and it, it, yeah, I think it's it was the first full thing I ever wrote, you know, like I've said, and I I just decided, no, I'll I'll not bother. But then they yeah. said, well, look, I'll tell you what, we'll take it on anyway. And they, and they did a little bit of editing because um, there were mistakes. And, you know, self-published books, there always are. And they changed a few things. But the, the basic story is exactly the same as, as when I first self-published it. So that's how it came about. And they gave it, uh, they gave it a, a cover, which I really like, which is sort of like a skull, but it's made out of flames. I quite like that. Yeah, so that's how it, how it came about. Yes, and one of your readers said uh, it was well written. Yeah, and I think that's down to, I mean, I think it is quite well written as well, but it was down to the editing as well. You know, uh, Pete and Sai, uh, as they always do, they're very, very, if there's one thing they're good at, it's editing and it's making the dialogue flow better and, the, you know, and just changing things and pointing things out that if you haven't got anybody to ask about, you, you don't uh sort of when characters are thinking things and i was jumping around too much with that sort of thing um and to me it was absolutely fine but i think that it might have been a little bit confusing if you were reading it and uh not you hadn't written it so anyway they they, they did all of that and uh, yeah i think it's turned out quite well and i quite like point of contact being your first book what you learned from this oh i, I learned i learned how to how to write with point of contact because um, there were like I say there were it's a very different I realized later when I when I came back to this script that had been sat up in my loft actually in a friend's loft for quite a while as well um, I read it and I thought oh my god it's one of the most embarrassing things reading something back that that I had sent out to agents and things you know because when I first looked at it, the first thing I'd ever written, and I thought, it's um, this is a masterpiece. This is brilliant. It's going to be a bestseller. And then I, I read it, and I thought, oh, my God, this is 
this is awful. You know, there were some really badly written parts of it. Um, and also, uh, what I did was when I went back to it myself, I really, I realized after written Minstrel's Bargain and Minstrel's Renaissance and, and Requiem, that um, it needed something else. Excuse me, going to. I realized it needed something else, and that is when I brought in there are uh, there's a there's parts of the book where you almost go through the the baddie's life from a from a child uh, to an adult. You know, there is a there is a you always need a baddie in your books, and there is a baddie in this book. But he communicates and with these group of people that he calls the visitors. Uh, but you never really know whether the visitors are actually real or if, are they just a part of this guy's broken mind, you know, because he is, he, he, he is, he's a bit of a crackerjack. He's a psychopath, but he's got powers. Um, and that's, uh, and also I inserted a bit of a love story in there as well, because originally, um, there's a there's a detective in there uh, called Goddard who was originally a, a, a man called Boson. So, in him and Fennec, the main character, uh, they were they became friends during that in the first book. But I turned I turned Boson into Lisa Goddard uh, as a sort of a love interest and a and try. I also want to do with a, a reason for doing that was making a female character not just a victim or some sort of wilting flower that has to be saved, you know? So I'm, I quite like Goddard as a, cause she's quite part. If you sort of, she's kick ass, you know what I mean? She's, she's a police officer and she's not, she's not going to back down and she gets into a few scrapes. Um, and I think she, uh, she holds her own in the book just as much as, uh, Ian Fennick does, who is the, the main character in the book. Getting back to your original question, I learned law from this, you know. How many uh, revision you did? Yeah, so the major revision was once I forced myself to read through the drivel I had first written down, um, I realized the story itself was, was solid. Um, but it was, it was what I'd learned from writing, you know. Um, like anything, I think, you, well, hopefully you should get better the more you do things. Um, and I think I was a different, by the time I came to redo it, I realized I was, a. I was, I, what I realized various different things that this book needed, that it lacked. Um, so I think it went through one massive revision, uh, really, really big, ruthless sort of additions and cut, cut outs. And uh, I, I, like I say, I, I made the visit as this, I tried to make the visit as this, you're not quite sure whether these things are real or not. Um, and I thought it, it gave a bit of more of a focus and a bit more of um, a reason for why this guy does what he does, uh, because he thinks he's doing it for them, rather than just being, a you know, yeah, you're sort of uh, run-of-the-mill mad, madman, you know. And so there was that major revision, and then the second revision, I would say, would be the one that that Pete and Side did, uh, where they 
tidied it up, if you like. You know, it was a it was a, a lighter touch edit than normal. Uh, because they didn't want to, I said I didn't really want to change the story. Um so they just tidied it up. So I think it's probably as, as good as it's going to get now. So the best the revision. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good revision now. So according to Loretta, she rated the book five star. And I want to read the last paragraph. It says, the satisfying ending wrap up, wrap up. But to my delight, there was one more chapter dated 2017, which gave chills all over again and led me wondering what will happen in Fansweek Future World. Maybe the author will tell us one day. <laughs> yeah. I did leave it all. I sort of, I didn't leave it open ended, but I did. I left. I wanted to leave it on a. Oh, you know, it's not quite finished yet. It's not quite over, even though you think it is. So, and I know what you're, you're sort of thinking is there, is there going to be a sequel to Point of Contact? And there could be. There could be. And maybe one day there. Well, I haven't got a, any ideas about what that sequel would be. Um, if I if I did write a sequel to that, I don't think I would have Goddard and Fennec in it. I think it would be a sequel, maybe with new characters, um, and it would have. I, I suppose it would have to be at least another five or six years, because the book is set in. Uh, I think it's set in two thousand and sixteen. So what's that now? What year are we in now? That's six years ago. Uh, you could have another sequel, I suppose. Um, but I don't know if I want to do that. I don't, I don't know. I, I just It was never intended to be a sequel. I just want that last bit. I, and Loretta is a lovely woman. And she actually, she's a Canadian. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, we went, we ended up just getting, she got in contact with me after Minstrel's Bargain and she was just very, very complimentary. She, she liked Minstrel's Bargain. And we and it, what it was, I was trying to do this giveaway thing and I was trying to get this book delivered to her Kindle uh, in yeah. Canada. And it just nothing was working. And she got in touch and she said, look, don't bother. I, I understand you've tried. And I said, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And we eventually we got it sorted. And because that to and in front on emails, we sort of became friends, uh, you know, through email. And so I've made a point of sending her a copy of every book that I've written since because she was so nice. Um, and like I say, we became sort of friendly, you know. I've never met, met her. I would love to meet her and her family, but um, maybe one day if I get to Canada, I'll get in touch with her. She, um, yeah, so she was very complimentary. And I know what you, that, that I did leave it open-ended, but not really... It is a standalone book, uh, in my mind. But you never know. I could one day maybe write something that had that was connected to it, in a way, if I wanted to. If you compare a life eternal mm-hmm. to a point of contact, what's the big difference? I would say the difference is not. I, I'm not. I want to say pace. I don't want to say pace, but the how it's obviously a life eternal takes place over a hundred years over a hundred years so the 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 characters 
journey is a much longer it's a lifetime journey you know or it's in in rob's case a strange uh lifetime an eternal lifetime um what i wanted to do with point of contact i wanted to write something supernatural but i wanted as well one of my the earliest books i used to read my dad used to read lots of books by Alistair McLean and Desmond Bagley, you know, these uh, fast paced thriller uh, books from the 50s, 60s and 70s, you know, mm. and I loved that. I loved the the sort of incessant, the mystery and then the, the bloke has to find out what's going on. It's usually a bloke. It was always a bloke with Alistair McLean and Desmond Bagley. And then there'll, there'll be some fast paced um, system going, you know, chases and, and car chases and climbing up buildings and all sorts of things like that. And that's what I wanted in point of contact. So I I made it quite quite thrillery and fast paced. Almost as a not as a sort of not trying to copy Alistair McLean or anything like that, but a similar type of um bush, 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 you know, everything keeps going at a, at a very sort of quick pace. Um, not, it doesn't give Fennec time to breathe very much. Uh, and the ending especially, I, I, I love the ending. And I, I would argue it's about the last third of the book is all building up to what happens at the conclusion of the book, you know. And it's very uh, it's sort of violent and explosive and uh, all sorts of stuff going on. So that I would say that is the big difference between point of contact and... A life eternal. Life eternal is much more. It's it's dealing with internal thoughts and and wishes and hopes and fears, whereas point of contact is uh, it's a lot more you know bish bash bosh sort of thing going on. So they're very different books actually, and that's what I like. I like writing different things. And according to Mister Chris Tartubley, yeah, brilliant. Wow. <laughs> What no, makes the book Point of Contact brilliant? Uh, I just, I think it was because it was different to, to Minstrel's Bargain. Uh, and it, it's a very different kind of book. Minstrel's Bargain is an out-and-out -out horror book, you know? Very gory, very violent. And it had to be because I wanted, you know, the the fact that the when people get taken over by minstrel's power, they're, they grin as they do these horrific things to each other, um, and so I wanted that to be to be in your face, eighties style pulp horror. What, but Point of Contact was a different type of book. Again, I'm I'm very much inspired to write by James Herbert, and James Herbert often writes these books that almost cross genres, you know. Um, James Herbert's books, uh, a book such as The Jonah, which is on one level, it's a it's a police investigation. It's, it's this guy, Jim, who has, he's a police officer and he's investigating um, a potential drug factory on the coast. But at the same time, there is this horror sci-fi element to it about his own past and that's kind of what i wanted to do with point of contact i wanted to have a a, a fast-paced thriller but i wanted to have it with this um speculative sort of horror aspect to it 
So it's it's a and what it's really good to do that, but then on the other hand, it's very hard to pigeonhole the book. It's I find most of my well, apart from the the prophecy books, they're horror. You can pigeonhole that's horror. It's British horror. But point of contact, um, and I suppose the same for Shadow of the Knife. It's a it's a it's a police thriller that happens to be set in the past, you know, like a historical thriller. But Point of Contact and A Life Eternal, especially, they're very hard books to sort of pigeonhole into what genre they are. And I quite like that. It makes it hard. It makes it harder for myself to try and market them uh, as whatever. <laughs> There's a certain type of genre. But um, I quite like the fact that I, do. I love cross-genre books. I love, I always have. I love things that, I like that that film, Cowboys and Aliens, <laughs> just because it's it's a cowboy film, but it's got aliens in it. You know what I mean? And I and I yeah. sort of quite like that that idea. I love, uh, you know, my one of my favorite writers when I discovered H. G. Wells, and I've I've read all of H. G. Wells' books, and he wrote different genres. He didn't always write sci-fi, and you could argue things like the Time Machine is almost a cross-genre book it's it's sort of sci-fi and horror i love um uh oh my god i've forgotten the guy's name uh day of the triffids john windham mm, yes. day of the triffids you could class as a post-apocalyptic type tale but it's also it's quite horror you know it's quite horrory if you like because of these these plants that are killing people you know these giant plants and i just yeah. like that type of crossing over of genres and not I like not being able I like people to be say well I don't know what he's going to write next because he's written horror he's written sort of sci-fi uh, you know he's written police procedurals he's written a life eternal I still don't know what genre that falls into you know what I suppose it's uh, speculative is if you want to which covers quite a few different uh, bars if you like but yeah uh, but Chris, and I know you've talked to Chris as well. I've listened to uh, I've listened to him talking about Acolyte and he's uh, and he's the the second book, the Sown Season. Uh, and I love Chris's writing. And we became friends. Uh, he explained this, but we became friends through uh, the first publisher that we were both with, me with Minstrel's Bargain, and him with Acolyte. And we've we've sort of just championed each other's work. He's a, he's a great writer. Uh, he's a lovely, lovely man. Um, and like I say, you, you meet people on this writing journey, you know, and they become friends and I've never met him face to face again. I've never met Chris face to face. I've talked to him because he, he does his own podcast show as well. And I've talked, he's interviewed me a couple of times on his show and we've talked, uh, and we email and, um, but yeah, he's another, he's another person I would love one day to meet up with and, and have a beer with and chew the fat. Yeah. Some of your readers uh, compare you to James Herbert and Sean Hudson. Yeah, Sean Hudson. I've only—I'll be honest with you—I've only read a few of Sean Hudson's books. Um, I think he wrote. Did he write Slugs or things like that? I'm not 100% sure, but uh, I'm, I wouldn't say. I'm, but definitely James Herbert absolutely influenced my writing. Um, I love James Herbert, and he went through. You know, you can sort of plot changes in his writing 
starting with the rats, which is like, you know, like me, it was a pulp, horror, gory, violent um, horror story. And the, the things like The Fog and the Dark, and I suppose in a way they influenced uh, Minstrel's Bargain a bit, uh, insofar as it is people doing horrific things to each other because of the, the because of whatever reason you know because of the fog either this this fog turns them mad or in the dark it's a it's a sort of malignant force which which gets them to do these rotten things to each other and i think that sort of influenced me with minstrel's bargain but one of my favorite books by james herbert isn't the one that most james herbert fans would say is is his best book but it's called nobody true and I love that book simply because of the idea of what it is. And it's a, if you've never read Nobody True, um, to all your listeners, read Nobody True by James Herbert. It, it's wonderful. And it's just so clever. It's a bloke who, he's a, this, the main, again, a, I suppose like a life eternal, it's written in the first person. And it's a, it's a guy who can have out of body experiences. And he sort of, you know, jumps around and he and he learns over the years how he can control this. But he's away from his body, and then he is murdered, and so, and so his body is dead. He's dead, but his because he wasn't in his body when he was murdered, he was having this out of body experience. He just sort of is now hanging around. He's not even a ghost. He's totally invisible. Nobody can hear him or see him. Um, and he basically has to, he tries to discover who killed him and, and he has to do it without being able to talk to anybody. It's such a clever book and such a great idea. Um, I wish I'd written that. I wish I'd come up with that idea. It, it, it's such a good book. Uh, so yeah, definitely early on, James Herbert was, uh, a huge influence. And I think I tried to emulate in my own poor fashion the style of his writing and people have said that yeah that this this book as well um certainly it's very sort of herbert-esque in the way it's it's in the way it's written i think i've developed my own style a little bit more since then but uh, i would i would agree that point of contact is it's very much a, a hats off to mr herbert the the king of king of it all but you know as far as i'm concerned Compare Mr. Herbert to Mr. King. What are the big difference? I think it's because Herbert is British. There's, there's just something essentially very British about the writing of James Herbert. I, I do like Stephen King. Um, and I know, Chris, you were asking Chris about Stephen King as well. And, and he doesn't... He, he's writing... Chris is writing what he says. He, he James Herbert sort of goes off on a tangent and starts talking about lots and lots of other things and be four or five pages before he gets back to where he was and by rights he sh he should not be the best seller he is you know because by all the sort of laws if there are any laws of writing and i don't believe there are by the way but all the laws say get to the point cut out any dead ones king himself says this if you read on reading and i've read it get rid of everything that's not necessary and then he you know, <laughs> he goes up on these <laughs> massive tangents. But I think so, in some of his books, it gets in the way. But in some of the books, actually, it enhances it. Now, I would say It, about Pennywise the Clown, 
when I first read that, but I read that when that first came out, I think it came out in about 85. So I was about 18 or 19 then. And oh my God, I felt I was, I, for the first time reading something, and this includes James Herbert, what the, the, I think it was probably the first Stephen King book I'd read as well. I just felt like I was part of the Losers Club in Derry. You know, I, I actually lived through what they were going through. I've read it again recently, and it's it's still, in a way, made me feel like that. But it wasn't as quite the same as when I was uh, when I first read it. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I, and I've read a lot of Stephen King. But again, King is is a cross genre writer. You know, if you if you read things like uh, Rita Hayworth in the Shawshank Redemption, which is just a short story, really, but it's got nothing to do with with horror or sci-fi or anything. Like that. It's just the story of this guy spending years breaking out of this this horrible prison, you know. Um, and even things like the Green Mile, which is sort of speculative, but n- not really horror. Um, but yeah, for but for me the the big thing is James Herbert is this, I can, when I was a, a the first James Herbert book I read was Lair, which was actually the, the sequel to The Rats. I'd never heard of The Rats. Um, and I read that, I picked that up in about 1980. I was at my granddad's house and I nicked it off my granddad because uh, it was on his table and had this picture. And I thought, well, that looks great. It's like a rat with two heads with blood <laughs> dripping off its fangs. I thought, I've got to read this. And then I realized once I read that book that, and I went through his back catalog and I started from the beginning, I read the rats and then I read the fog and uh, the survivor and things like that. Um, And there's just something, I don't know what makes a country unique. I don't know what makes Britain unique or Canada unique in in as far as writing is but whatever it is james herbert captured it and there's just something that is so relatable it's the odd ordinariness i think in the rats you know it's the rats are attacking a school and they're in the schoolyard and he describes the school and it's just like the schools i used to go to although that's set in london obviously and i didn't go to school in london but there's something about the ordinary the extraordinary just suddenly encroaching into the ordinary in a British just street. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, I think that's, if anything, that's what made me fall in love with James Herbert's writing. Yeah. Who inspired you in writing Point of Conduct? Herbert, definitely. Um, that was that was a, a big influence. Um, and certainly the biggest influence. But as I've said, I think also... Writers like um, John Wyndham and even H.G. Wells, in a way, uh, I, th- I think there was there were a lot of and Alastair MacLean, Desmond Bagley, those sort of old school thriller writers. All of those were influences in Point of Contact, as well as my own um, interest in. <laughs> it's not it's not about spontaneous human combustion you think it is but it isn't um but i used to watch when i was a kid on a saturday morning i think it was a saturday morning it used to be on and it was a show and i don't know if you ever got it in canada but it was it was a show called arthur c Clarke's mysterious world 
and it was the you know Arthur C. Clarke who wrote Two Thousand and One and um, things like that. Yes, and he would just every week there would be that'd be like two or three documentaries about various different sort of supernatural events, and I remember watching one about spontaneous human combustion. And I think it must have stuck in my head a bit like James Herbert because a lot of it was British. They had these old grainy black and white photographs of bodies. Or it wasn't a body, it was just a burnt, charred sort of mess on the floor with a foot. And I remember seeing this black and white photograph on Arthur C. Clarke's Mysterious World. And I think even, I was probably only about 10 or 12 when I watched that. I think I thought, oh, that's that's really interesting. And I read up about spontaneous human combustion. And then I read that actually every single case of spontaneous, so-called spontaneous human combustion is actually, you can prove it was an outside source. The people do not just suddenly burst into flame. You know what I mean? I mean, it's in Dickens if you read Bleak House, I think. Uh, there's one of the characters in uh, in Bleak House. He's a because the, the Victorians used to think that if you were an alcoholic, if you drank too much, you could set yourself on fire. Your body would sort of, you know, like <laughs> you can you can burn you can burn rum or something, and then your body would go. And uh, one of the characters in there uh, spontaneously goes on fire. And even in uh, Great Expectations, um, and it, you never really find out why uh, Mrs. Um, Havisham goes on fire it's possible it's probable that a coal sets a dress on fire i think if I've, it's a while since i've read it but i've always thought there's a, there's a bit of a mysterious sort of element to her burning to death as well so yeah it, it was those loads of different influences uh really and that's why i wanted to write it really that's where this idea the germ of the idea came from do you think in the future point of contact you will modify it again no, no, it's it is what it is. It's a bit like when I was talking to you about Minstrel's Bargain. There is a part of me, want, especially Minstrel's Bargain, that wants me that wants to go back to it and just edit it, not change anything or add anything or take anything out, just edit it properly. Um, because I think it needs it, and it's just for my own, you know, my own benefit, not not for any other reason. Uh, just to put commas in the right place and change things around and stuff like that. Maybe change the odd sentence structure, but not change anything. But I think point of contact is as good as it's going to be, uh, or as good as I want it. I like it the way it is. It's it's a it's a fast paced thriller, and you can enjoy it if you are if you like thrillers. You know, just run you know run of your mill sort of thrillers, or you can enjoy it if you like horror. Or if you like science fiction, I think it's got all those elements in. And I think it's as, because of the editing that Pete and Si did with it, I think it's as good as it's going to be now. Um, and so, no, I don't think I would change it now. What is the best highlight of Point of Contact? The, definitely the conclusion. I think that is the, uh, although there's one particular scene, which is a vignette of, of the, this guy, this mysterious man who you follow throughout the book, it goes from his childhood in the 60s and then there's little episodes of his life and you start to realise that this guy has these incredible powers, but he's also quite unhinged. Um, so I would argue that the best bit in the book is the conclusion because I think that's just really fast. I like, 
I was really proud of how I wrote that. I, th I think I did it well. I think there's a there's a it keeps up the pace really good. There's loads of stuff going on. It's all quite believable apart from the sci-fi sort of aspects of it. And I think it really leaves you a, a little bit breathless at the end of it. So I, I would say the conclusion. But then there is this other, like I say, this little vignette, and it's in the early 80s when uh, this, this character is, is a young man. And it's a bit at a barbecue, a student's house uh, and a barbecue. And I quite like that one. That's quite sort of... Uh, he's, I like the way the, the character comes across as this cold, quite mad character. Um, and it's, it's a good little vignette. So that I would say that's a highlight as well. I'm not going to tell you what happens, but it's good. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so according to Miss Phillips, uh, she rated uh, the book five star. It says that a brilliant cast of characters. And although the point of view changes rapidly and frequently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I why think, is that? I think that is one of the things that was torn down. Uh, it is a feature of, and it's a problem with my writing that I don't see when I'm writing it. I'll, I'll change points of view. So somebody will be thinking something and then someone else will be thinking something. And even though I think it's very clear to me, sometimes it isn't and it, that was one of the certainly in my early writing and that was one of the things that that uh, pete um talked about and said you've got you, we have to make this clearer um because you're jumping around a lot uh and i think it 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 gets sorted and it's just now a bit more obvious about who is saying not saying things but certainly what they're thinking and I think the reason for that is going back to what uh, Fee said about um, the cast of characters. I like the characters. The, every single character in that book is, well, nearly every single character is as important as the other. A bit like Handy and Jackson in um, Shadow of the Knife. Each each of those are just as important for the story. There's not, There isn't a a main character, if you like, in that particular book. You could argue that Ian Fennick is the is the protagonist in this one, but Lisa Goddard um, is just as important. You've got a detective inspector in there who is just as important, and you've got uh, a young a young girl as well who is the sort of uh, the catalyst for what happens in the story. She's just as important as well. Um, and actually, for anybody who's read Minstrel's Bargain, I put in a little, do you call them Easter eggs? Is that what they're called nowadays? There's, uh, because in Minstrel's Bargain is set in 1988 and 1989, uh, there's, a, there's a bit in that book where there is a massacre at the local ice rink. Um, and the police investigators, the police, the investigator and his sergeant come to interview uh Phil, the main character in Minstrel's Bargain. And I made the detective inspector the sergeant, who was a young sergeant in 1988, and now he's this grizzled um, inspector in Point of Contact, which is set nearly 30 years later. Um, and, he t and he thinks back to that ice rink scene. Just there's a brief, just a brief little scene. Nobody will get it, 
unless you've read Minstrel's Bargain as well, you know. But I, yeah. <laughs> I quite like doing stuff like that. <laughs> and one of your best review, I think, is uh, this one. Uh, point of Contact is much better than King. It's better going, than the most. Yeah, yeah she, I think she compares it. And rightly so, again, to almost like sort of Sean Hudson, James Herbert. But there were, in the early 80s, late 70s, there were a slew of uh, sort of, if you want to call them, schlock horror type of books coming out. Um, and I was exactly the same. I was sitting in my bedroom reading all these books as well when I was, uh, you know, a younger person. Um and yeah, she's very kindly says that that the writing in, in point of contact is a, is uh, is better, and that's really it's really pleasing to hear. You know, it's very nice of her. Um, I suppose it's because point of contact was written in the late nineteen eighties, and it was very much influenced by those type of books. Certainly, the first version of it was, which was a bit darker in a way, and a bit more violent in a way. Um, I sort of toned it down slightly. I didn't want to have point of contact as in-your-face violent as Minstrel's Bargain or, Minst you know, the, the prophecy books. They had to be violent um, because Minstrel is a demon and he takes pleasure in people hurting them, each other, you know. Uh, but this is a different, it was a different t sort of type of thing. So I didn't want it quite as gory, although there are some, you know, obviously people bursting into, into flame is quite gory <laughs> but yeah no I've, I've had some nice reviews i had a god awful review as well by this woman i think it was a woman in america i think who i thought was a bit unfair but there you go that's you you know you t you take you take the good with the bad everybody's going to get a one-star review at some point oh. in their lives um of uh, course but, but most most reviewers have, have thought it's okay Yes, and I think bad review make you better, as was they said. Well, uh, I think a bad review that points out things that you agree with can make you better. I've put uh, this just it didn't really say anything to help me. It was just pretty vitriolic, you know. And I've never come across that before. I'm sure I'll come across it again. Uh, so I didn't get anything out of it about the reasons why the, the the reviewer didn't like it so much. I was so hateful towards it. But there you go, you know, knock yourself out. But I learned four, uh, four things about point of contact about, uh, according to your reviewer. Right. Uh, number one, well-written. Number two, uh, brilliant. Number three, fast-paced, thriller science fiction or horror, right? And number four, what do you think, Mr. Richard? Number four, what? I don't know. What else would be? Uh, go on, tell us. I don't know. Brilliant again. <laughs> oh, brilliant again. Right, that's good. Yes. Always want to be brilliant. Of course. And it, it's nice to talk the book because it's really brilliant. And even I, I, I never read yet. I'm I'm looking forward to it because it's inspired me those reviews. What else you can say about Point of Contact? I would say Point of Contact is uh, it's quite an easy book to read. It's not there's no real deep philosophical thought like there is in uh, A Life Eternal. 
So I would say if you if your interests are you like a bit of a fast paced thriller, you like a bit of science fiction, you like a bit of a mystery to work out, um, and you like a bit of action, then it'll be right up your street. You should you should enjoy it. Um, it it's a it's a it's just just what it you know it's what it is. It's a it's a it's a fast paced sci-fi thriller that's what it is and if you like that you're gonna love point of contact i would argue definitely so where do people buy your book mostly amazon because it is now certainly for the um because it's published uh so it's on kindle unlimited so if you want an ebook it's it's gonna have to be amazon uh the paperback is available in a lot of different places i think you can, it's like on the the waterstones website the walmart website um h uh, wh smith here in the in the uk and again like all of the books and certainly the books uh the last sort of three books i've written anywhere you can buy a paperback you can order you can order point of contact yes definitely and i want to uh uh tell to my listeners uh thank you very much for supporting this podcast and I want to invite you to listen to my another podcast called Food 101. It's on my third season and uh, my third season is bigger, better and bolder. So please listen Food 101. It's number 12 on the best food podcast on the planet. Wow. And I have my co-host and new co-host uh Chef Alessandro. He's one of the executive chef in one of the five-star hotel in downtown Toronto. Please oh. do check Food 101. And Mr. Richard, if you have a movie contract, a point uh, contact, is it yeah. the same title of the yeah, movie? Yeah, definitely. I think Point of Contact is a really good title. I love it. Because it, it puts across that thrillery type, um, you know, action thriller but it's got everything to do with what the story is about it is the story in three words really it's the point of contact so uh yeah i would you keep doing this to me and you keep saying oh when you get you know what if they made a film and you keep getting us thinking about stuff like that so yeah <laughs> um i even you know what i sometimes in my own head, I have a cast of, of actors who I would like to play various yeah. different people. And for Ian Fennick, it would be Doug Ray Scott, uh, the Scottish actor. He's, he's a great actor and he's sort of, he, he fits that sort of ethos of, of Ian Fennick, I think, perfectly. But then again, people have very different ideas of who should play different characters. But yes, Netflix, Amazon, come on, give us a contract, man. Definitely. Turn it into a series. Is it possible point of contact to be a movie or to be a series? I think it could be both. Yeah, I think um, because it's quite, you know, it's quite a linear type story and it's got these flashbacks in them, I think it would make a very good, I think they call them limited run series, don't they? Um, you could definitely get one good series out of point of contact, uh, which possibly would be better than a uh, than a film i think these netflix and apple tv and all of these things now disney this would be getting all these big stars don't they doing 
TV series rather than movies nowadays. And I think that's got to be only f a benefit for any for any authors who are lucky enough to, to you know, for this to happen to them. Because I think a book condensed into a two-hour movie is always, you've always got to leave things out. You've always got to change things around. That's never the same as the book. Whereas a series, if you've got six or eight hours instead of two, then you can get a lot more into it. You know, you can, you can tease a lot more of the actual writing out, I think. So, yeah. Come on, Netflix, turn it into a series. <laughs> yes, definitely. All the books that you written, mm -hmm. is it a point of contact? Is it the least or the top five? Um, how many books have I, have I actually written? I've got six. So, uh, yeah, of course. I've got to put con point of contact in uh, the top five. It's was the first thing I ever wrote. It got me started in a way all those years ago uh, as a writer. And I like its, its cross-genre type uh, fast-pacedness. And so, yeah, it, it's actually, it's my wife's, one of my wife's favorite of my books. She, she likes that one a lot. She thinks it's a good, it's a good yarn. You know what I mean? It's, it's an old, fa it's not old-fashioned, but it's almost like it's a, a rip there used to be a series on the telly called ripping yarns uh, and that's what it is it's uh, it's a good it's a good story you can just lose yourself in for a few hours you know so yeah definitely top five thank you mr richard for, thank you daniel for having you I, I i forgot shout out to the people listening in estonia i'm a number 53 thank you so much and of course again jamaica number 62 Ghana at 113, Myanmar at 115, and uh, Canada at number 24. Thank you so much for supporting this podcast. Thank you, Mr. Richard. Thank you, Daniel. You take care. Morning, people. See you soon.